before we do that, I'm going to pray. If you'd like to join me in prayer, let's uh, prepare our own hearts to hear God's word read for us. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we, we do pray this morning, uh, Father, that all the things that may be going on for us in our own lives, all the busyness of this week, uh, even uh, all of the concerns that are in our own minds, Father, we pray now that uh, we might be able to hear clearly your word read to us. Father, your word is life. We pray particularly as we hear Romans 8, the beginning of Romans 8 read. Lord, we pray that you will give us minds that are able to understand it, Father. Uh, please soften our hearts before your word so that we might receive it with joyful thanks that we might live in its light. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Lyle is going to read for us Romans from Romans chapter 8. So if you've got a Bible that you were given on the way in, there should already be a handout, a um, little bookmark there. Thanks, Lyle. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Thanks, Lyle. It would be helpful to have that open in front of you as we uh, think about this really great part of the Bible. 
Before we get there, though, uh, I wonder uh, yeah, what you think of when you think of a spiritual person. Uh, what comes to your mind when you hear the kind of phrase, that person is a really spiritual person? Uh, it's an important question. It has lots of different answers in our society. You probably will be aware of some of them. You've got the more kind of uh, Oriental, Eastern philosophies that sort of think about a, a spiritual person being someone who detaches themselves uh, from the world and kind of reaches a state of oneness with the divine or something like that uh, through meditation and other spiritual uh, practices. Uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it seems to me there's a bit of a kind of fascination with that in Australian culture. You get, we have our own mystical gurus who can help us kind of de-stress after a day's work. But of course there are other countless ideas about what a spiritual person looks like. What does it look like to be a, a spiritual person, not just spiritual gurus? Uh, maybe in your mind you get the picture of a Mother Teresa, someone devoted to the good of others, someone like the Dalai Lama, uh, you know, uh, who's working for world peace. Well, there's all sorts of ideas out there about what, you know, what is a spiritual person. Uh, the question's a live one, though, isn't it, for Christian people within, the, within churches. Uh, there's a lot of confusion uh, and also disagreement about it between Christians. What does this... What does it look like to be a spiritual person? What does the spiritual life look like? Uh, what does it mean to grow as a spiritual person? What does it mean to grow spiritually? As I become more spiritual, what should I expect? Should I be expect to be walking along one day and all of a sudden to find that my feet no longer touch the ground and I kind of, well, levitate through life? No, obviously not. Detached. But you wouldn't, you know, even though we, you wouldn't think that physically, perhaps we can think that on an experiential kind of level, that you do kind of float through life's troubles without being attacked by them, sort of detached. What does it mean to be a spiritual Christian? And how does all this relate to the Spirit of God? The, the um, what gets described in Christian theology is that who gets described as the third person of the Trinity, God's personal power and presence in the world. Well, there's lots of things, well, a few things actually have caused more sort of just confusion and even disagreement between Christians in the last few hundred years as this, what we call a doctrine of the Holy Spirit, how God is directly at work in our lives through his spirit. I'm conscious as we gather this morning that we have among our church family a wide kind of range of both experiences and views on this topic. Well, having kind of opened that up for us all, I'm not anticipating that we're going to really resolve all of those questions today. But what I am hoping for us as we gather together around this passage from Romans 8, what I am hoping is that each of us individually and together as a church family uh, we can hear this word from Romans 8 and as we travel through the rest of the chapter in the coming weeks, uh, and we can start to be shaped by God's word to us here. You see, the fascinating about this, there's something fascinating about this chapter. Um, Romans, if you've been with us through this incredible journey through the letter of, to, to, of Paul to the Romans, Romans is Paul's longest, it's his most sustained and vigorous kind of outline of the gospel, of what God has done for his world in Jesus. It's kind of a high point in the Bible, a theological high point. 
we've, we've had so much, haven't we? Like there's so much, so much depth that we've journeyed through. And friends, how many times do you think the Holy Spirit has been mentioned in the first seven chapters of Romans? Uh, just don't put your hand up, but uh, just maybe think for yourself without flicking through. Zero to five, six to ten, eleven to twenty. Well, the answer is it's, it, it's the lowest. It, it's less than five times. It's only a handful of times that the Holy Spirit has been mentioned in the whole first seven chapters of Romans that are so rich and so full of such incredible truths. And we've only read the first part of chapter 8, but have a guess in your mind again how many times the Holy Spirit's mentioned in this chapter alone, Romans chapter 8. I'll do something slightly different numbers this time. Maybe think 0 to 10, uh, 11 to 20, or 20 and more, 20 and above. Uh, the answer is, you're probably guessing it, it's, a, it, it's, the, it's the highest, it's more than 20 times in this chapter alone uh, the Holy Spirit's mentioned, it's talked about. Now friends, Romans 8 isn't going to answer all of our questions about the Holy Spirit and His work in our lives, but what I'm suggesting is that it should have a central place for us in our thinking, uh, in how we understand it. It should find a central place for it. It is a key chapter in this letter to the Romans, and the letter to the Romans is a key uh, book in the whole of the Bible for our understanding. Well, as I said, we're going to spend four weeks. We've sort of broken it up into four chunks. A bit of a break next week with Jamie uh, coming to preach from a psalm, but then we'll return to it with Paul Harrington, We'll spend four weeks in this magnificent chapter. Uh, we're going to immerse ourselves in it, and just as we start, you could do worse, actually, than to kind of commit yourself over these coming months and over these coming weeks to just soaking yourself in this chapter, reading it again and again as we go through it, letting its truths sink into you. All right, friends, well, it's going to be really helpful as we start to get, uh, just to remember where we are in what, what we've been doing. If you were here last week, you would have seen this uh, diagram. We'll just go through it again quickly. Uh, the, whole of the, the first part of Romans has all been about this question of what life is like in Adam. We, that, the, use, the phrase in Adam doesn't get used till chapter 5, we saw, but it's a key idea for Paul. Life in Adam, under sin and judgment, and headed for death. Uh, that's sort of the first uh, part of Romans, up to chapter 3, verse 20. And then, of course, uh, what we saw last week is this incredible news from, uh, from the middle of chapter 3 that God has broken into this mess in the person of the Lord Jesus. A new right, we had no righteousness of our own in Adam. A new righteousness a righteousness that we don't earn, a righteousness that has been given to us freely uh, through Jesus' death on the cross for us as our substitute. Uh, we get this righteousness through trusting in Jesus through what he, he has done. Uh, and in chapter 5, we get this, uh, it has this idea of um, we, uh, we not only have a clean slate with God through the cross, we have a whole new life in Christ this whole new identity of who, about who we are. We are now no longer in Adam. We are now in Christ, joined to him, united to him. And because of that, we share 
in his death and resurrection. That was chapter 6. If you, I'm sort of skating through here, but it's really important that we do get a sense of where chapter 8 sort of hits so that we can understand it properly. Uh, we saw that in chapter 6. We have been joined to Jesus through faith so that what's true of him is true of us. And Paul sort of gives that strong urging to put to death the things of the... to uh, no, not let sin reign over your mortal bodies, um, to, uh, uh, to give yourself to God as those who have been joined to Christ. Okay, last week we looked at this, if you remember. We talked about tense Terry. I don't know, I don't know if that's ringing a bell for you. But this is the reality of our situation here and now, those who are in Jesus, we have this tension where uh, we're still in these bodies that are fallen and broken and are still bound for uh, death because of sin. But the, the real reality about us, now that we are joined to Christ, the truest thing about our identity is not that we're in Adam, but we are actually now in Christ. That is who we are. And Paul says over and over again, this is who you are, so... Believe it. Think about it. Remember it. Live it out. Paul's whole, whole point has been that is the truest thing about you. Now you are in Christ. Okay, last week in chapter 7 we saw, if you, if you can see it there in your Bible, 7 verse 6, there was a really key verse. They had two different ways. Uh, having died with Christ, we are released from the way of, down here, the way of the law which brought condemnation and death. And we're released from that so that we can serve in the new way of the spirits, this new way, not the old way of the written code. And when you come to chapter 8, there's lots that sort of we've skated over there, but when you come to chapter 8, chapter 8's kind of this extended, joyful reflection on this new life, this new way of the spirit that Christians are brought into through faith in Jesus. So when it comes to the Spirit's work in us, what it means to be a spiritual person, uh, in these verses, Paul says, being in this up there in the new realm of the spirits, he says a few things. You see it there in your outline. Again, I'm not saying this, this is not everything, um, but it is critical and fun, fundamental for us as we think about this. Being in this realm of the spirit, being a spiritual person means having a new freedom, a new walk, a new mind, and the hope of a new life. And we're going to kind of journey through each of those things and draw some threads together as we, as we look at that. I'm going to leave that up there, uh, maybe refer to it as we go along, because it's just a really helpful uh, way of thinking about where Paul's come from and what he's doing now with this incredible description of what, what this realm of the Spirit looks like. Okay, um, as, is, as I said, if you can journey along in your Bibles, that'll help. There's a bit of an outline there. Uh, chapter 8, verse 1. I normally have it up on the screen, but I do think it's helpful to have, keep that up there, so it'll, it'll just help you to have a Bible in front of you if you can. Uh, chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus... The law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is now no condemnation. Now friends, Paul's not saying anything new at that point. 
You, can, you kind of get that when he says, therefore. He, he's pulling all the threads together. Everything he's said up to this point, he's saying, so friends, listen to me. There is now no, literally not one condemnation. No condemnation. Friends, what is it that makes you feel condemned? Uh, in our kind of sex-saturated society, issues of Lust and pornography are bound to be live for many of us and we've just got to get used to talking about that as a church family. Uh, but that's, that's, not, that's not all. Uh, there are other things, right? Your anger, uh, your love of gossip, your envy, your capacity to lie and perhaps and deceive, whatever it is, we don't need to go on. Uh, but we do need to hear this verse again and again and again, do we not? If you are in Christ Jesus, there is not one condemnation that can be brought against you. You have been completely set free from any and every condemnation. Any judgment on you saying guilty, it cannot touch you. You are completely forgiven, completely freed, completely accepted through Jesus. Because, Paul says, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Uh, there's some question about what's going on here with where Paul uses those two words, law. What's going on? He's kind of, we saw last week when Paul says law, he means the Old Testament law. Uh, what's going on with these two laws here? He mentioned it in brief last week. I, we can't go into it all, but I think what he's getting at is the fact that the Old Testament law, that was what, what kind of dominated life for people in the Old Testament, the, the Israelites. It, it shaped your life. And we saw last week that because of our flesh, because we're in Adam, uh, we saw last week that not, not because the law in itself was bad, the law in itself isn't bad, but because of our flesh, the law brought sin. It actually made sin worse. And it led to death. It led to condemnation. Uh, I think what he's getting out here with these two laws is saying, now there is a new... That, that was life under the, the law, the Old Testament law. Now there is a new thing, a new reality that dominates our life. It shapes us. Not the Old Testament law, but the law, this kind of overarching reality of the spirits. And yet, I think you get that as you read on. If you can see down in verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the, in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit." You see what's going on there? Because, because of our flesh, God's good law couldn't, it can't be the defining thing in our life. It can't be the thing that, that shapes us. It can't save us. It can't make us righteous. But what the law couldn't do, God did in Jesus. Jesus took on our flesh. He entered into our flesh, became in every way like us, except he didn't sin. And instead of him being condemned, he, he condemns sin. He condemns sin. 
And here's the point in all of that. There's more in there, but here's the point. Uh, Jesus did that in order, Paul says, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live, literally there, you have an older translation, it might say, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see, what Jesus did brings us a whole new life, a whole new walk, a whole new walk. This idea of walking in ancient times, uh, unfortunately, we don't walk as much today as people did back then. I spend way too much time, and many of us do, kind of sitting in front of a computer or on the couch in front of the telly or whatever it is. Like we, don't, we just don't walk as much as people used to. But in ancient times, people would have been constantly walking, and Paul uses this idea of walking a lot as a way to kind of summarise your whole life, the whole direction of your life, your walk. Uh, we walk now not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Friends, the spiritual life is a walking one. We're not only free from condemnation, God's Spirit gives us a new walk, this new kind of law of the Spirit, this new direction, this new life. And did you notice in that idea of walking, there's no sense of standing still. You're either walking with the flesh or with the spirits. Friends, I wonder uh, when we were talking about there being no condemnation, I wonder if some of us were kind of a little bit unsettled at that point. Uh, really? <coughs> can, can it be really that extreme to say that there is not one condemnation if I'm in Christ Jesus? Doesn't that give me... Doesn't that mean it doesn't matter what I do? And you'll be familiar if you've read Romans up to this point. Paul's talked about that a number of times. But here, it's the same kind of dynamic he's talked about before. Complete forgiveness, no condemnation. But that doesn't leave you on your own. It brings you into a new reality here, a new walk, a new law, a new, a new existence, a whole new identity. Uh, that doesn't mean we don't change our lives. We do. It's the new walk we're brought into by God's grace. And as we move on through the passage, that central to this new walk, Paul says, is your mind. Uh, there's a classic um, scene in the movie The Matrix. Is, and you, most of us maybe are familiar with the movie The Matrix. Perhaps uh, you might, if you don't know the movie, it's about this kind of strange dystopian future. And we're all plugged into this thing called the Matrix. Uh, everyone's plugged into it. It's kind of a virtual reality thing that machines use to control humans. It's a basic plot line. Uh, there's a scene where the main character, Neo, uh, he's learning from this other character, Morpheus, he's learning how to manipulate the Matrix to go into the Matrix and sort of do incredible things in, in, in it. Uh, He's trying, and, and what Morpheus wants him to do is to jump over this huge gap between buildings. And remember the scene? They're kind of on top of one building. They've got to jump this huge gap. No one, impossible to do, impossible to do. Um, and Morpheus says to Neo, I get to the voice, I don't know. You, you've got to let it all go, Neo. Fear, doubt, disbelief. Free your mind. And then he goes and does a huge jump. Okay. Free your mind. Uh, friends, it's possible, isn't it, to have a kind of matrix version of spirituality? 
being spiritual means free your mind. Too much thinking gets in the way. You just got to go with your gut and not think about it. Just jump. Free your mind. Uh, but do you notice here, for Paul, you don't get that sense here, do you? From verse 5 there. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. See what's going on here? To be united to Jesus, united to him, to belong to him in this realm of the Spirit, is, means that you have your, a new law, a new thing, a new, uh, not a new thing, a new uh, ruler of your mind. Do you notice that? Your mind is governed. You, it's to have your mind ruled and shaped by the Spirit. Your mind set on what the Spirit desires, not on what the flesh desires. And I've mentioned this before, just need to quickly flag it again, though. Really important to remember here, this idea of flesh versus spirit is not talking about bodies versus not uh, kind of floating around in clouds. It's not talking about physical existence versus a kind of non-physical thing. When Paul uses the term flesh... Uh, hopefully, if we've been along, uh, that'll be ringing some bells and be familiar. It means human beings in opposition to God. And when you're talking about the Spirit, it means human beings through Christ reconciled to God, um, at peace with God. And so to have your thoughts controlled by the Spirit, to have your mind set on what the Spirit desires, is to have your mind shaped more and more by the, by the top line up there to have your mind shaped more and more by that. Uh, that's, why, that's why the first, if you're here a few weeks ago, the first and, I think, really central uh, uh, command that Paul gives back in chapter 6 is actually about your mind. Having gone through all of that, he said, Paul says, so in a lot of all of that, Remember what he says, reckon yourselves to be who you really are in Christ. Think about yourselves. Uh, remember who you are. You are dead to sin and you are alive to God. To have a mind shaped like that, Paul says, will lead you to life and peace as opposed to the mind that's governed by the flesh, which only leads to death. There's only one... For Paul, as we've gone along, you see what he's doing. There's only one distinction, friends, that really matters. He's talked about the same distinction in different ways. He's talked about it in terms of having faith and not having faith. Uh, he's talked about how by faith means that we're united to Jesus. We've, we've, we've seen that. We're in him uh, as opposed to in Adam. And here... Uh, what, you can see what Paul's doing. It's all a package deal, right? It's all a, you know what a package deal is? You get one thing and everything else comes with it, right? You buy the plane tickets and you get the hotel in Fiji, 
I wish. Uh, now you buy the whatever it is, okay? You get, you get one thing and you get the set of steak knives thrown in. No, you know. But you, it's a package deal. You get everything together. Well, the, this, this kind of Jesus package means that if you're in him, you are in the spirit. You do have his spirit. It can't be any other way. And you get that in verse 9. You see verse 9 there. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. I don't think Paul writes that to make Christians anxious and sort of worried about whether they have the spirit or not. It's just a statement of reality. If you are in Christ, if you have placed your faith in him and his death for you, you cannot have done that without God's spirit at work in you to draw you to himself. You cannot belong to Christ and not have his spirit. And if you don't have his spirit, you cannot belong to him. There is no extra class of Christian here. It's really significant, I think. There's not normal, slightly boring and unimpressive Christians like me, and then really spiritual ones, okay? No, it's a package deal, friends. Why it's, this is why it's so important to read chapter 8. You know, one of the most important things about chapter 8, it comes after chapter 1, and 2, and 3, and 4, and 5, and 6, and 7. It, it, it's why it's so important to see the whole letter up to this point. If you are connected to Jesus, and we know by now that means through faith in him, trusting in what he's done, if you're connected to Jesus, you are in the realm of the spirit and you are a spiritual person. <laughs> you are a spiritual Nothing. It's nothing to do what, with the kind of spiritual practices you might engage in. It's not about us, it's about God and what he has done by his spirit in you. God's spirit has caused the most incredible transformation to take place in your life. You have been brought out of Adam and into Christ. You have been brought from death to life, from sin's condemnation to the spirit's freedom there's one more thing that Paul wants to open up for us about this, what this life in the realm of the Spirit looks like, uh, this new reality in Christ. The Spirit gives a new freedom, a new walk, a new mindset. His presence is necessary part of being a Christian. It's all a package deal. And lastly, this Spirit is the giver of life. Verse 10, I'll speak up because of the wind. Um, verse 10, if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. The great, wonderful work of the Spirit, Father, our friends, uh, friends, the great wonderful work of the Spirit is to give you life. New life right now. This new walk. 
But you see what Paul's saying here? New life after death, at the end of the age when God will judge all people and make all things new. Because of righteousness, because of the righteousness that is ours through faith in Jesus, there is no condemnation, not only here and now, but there will be no condemnation then. And can you get something of the sense of Paul's excitement at this point, friends, his anticipation, his certainty? Do you see what he's saying? If God's, if God's spirit, right? I mean, if we're not just playing theological games here, but if the creator of the universe, if his personal presence and power is at work in you, If that spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is alive in us, and can, if what Paul's saying is true, if you're trusting in Jesus, then that is true of you. It is. If his spirit is, is, it were, is alive in us, then we will absolutely, with rock-solid certainty, we will share in his resurrection. He will give life to our mortal bodies. Friends, We can put so much effort into these bodies that are subject to death, can't we? When it becomes really kind of all-consuming, it can consume us and perhaps driven by our fear of these bodies being subject to death. Can you hear this wonderful news that in that realm of the spirit, that fear has no place? You don't have to fear death. One really memorable old poet uh, used this kind of phrase. He said, death used to be an executioner, but the gospel has made him just a gardener. The gospel has made him just a gardener to plant the seed and then which will spring to new life. Uh, This is a key thing for us, I think. You see what happens here? You have a new relationship even even to your body, even to your kind of life in Adam. Um, I wasn't sure whether to read this out. I think I will. Uh, It's a quote from Martin Luther. If you know anything about Luther, it's a bit risky reading his quotes out because he's a little bit um, edgy at times. Uh, But anyway, he he, he had this this perspective on his own life in this body, which was quite uh, pretty remarkable, I think. I'm not suggesting this is how you should think about yourselves necessarily, but he... he, um, uh, It freed him this knowledge. It freed him. Uh, uh, knowing that life in Adam, life in my body is not the ultimate thing, it freed him. It freed him to be quite uh, funny about his body. He says uh, when people started to call themselves after him, and I'm not having a go at any of my Luther brothers and sisters, uh, but this was Luther's own kind of words, when people started to call themselves after him, he said, how did I, poor stinking bag of maggots that I am, Come to the point where people call the children of Christ by my evil name. <laughs> and do you get? He 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 knew that he was just a well, in his words, a poor stinking bag of maggots. Not suggesting that we should call each other that. But you know, he uses these incredible uh, sort of images to get across the point. Right? He knows that his body is 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 uh, bound for death, subject to death. It's no longer the ultimate thing. Uh, We need to... 
this is important for us, I think, friends, as a church family. Uh, we can face this perspective enables us to face death. It enables us not to make our life in Adam, our bodies here and now, the ultimate thing, because we know the true reality about us is that we are in Christ. That doesn't mean things will be easy or that you won't experience pain, but because of Jesus, you have a certain hope in the face of death. You know that the same Spirit that gave him life will give life to your mortal body. It will raise you on the last day. Uh, we've, uh, a, a few, a couple, about a month ago, we put out a bit of a postcard inviting people to think about funeral planning. Bit of a kind of morbid thing to do, perhaps. Uh, but on the, on, the, on the other hand, if this is true, um, then thinking about Thinking about that doesn't become the ultimate thing, does it? Um, I'd really encourage you, if you'd like to take that up, to make a time to catch up with me. My main concern won't be logistics, though. My main concern with it will be that you can, you can face that day happy in Jesus, knowing that when the time comes, that same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead will raise your mortal bodies. Well, friends, there's sort of lots packed in there. Where do we, what do we make of all this? Um, it's, it's this incredible sort of one thing after another about what this life in the Spirit is like. Um, there is a place, I think, for a kind of honest look inside our hearts here. Uh, at this point, Paul's not telling us to do any of these things. You recognise that? He's not, he's not saying you must walk in this way. He's just describing reality. If you're in Christ, this is the truth about you. You, are, you do have a new walk. You do have a new mindset. You do have a new future life. Uh, but perhaps you can see, though, as you have worked through this, perhaps, though, thanks for turning me up, uh, perhaps you see... And if you're really honest, you see that these things aren't at work in you. Uh, and there is a place, and perhaps today's a good one, to ask, am I, I mean, the, you know, the critical thing here, are you in Christ? Are you, is your faith placed in him? And there is a place to ask that question. Uh, if you're trusting in Jesus, then you are in the realm of the Spirit. That doesn't mean... You necessarily have to have great spiritual experiences. Uh, so you may not have had that, but perhaps when you think about honestly about your own life, you, uh, you know that you haven't acknowledged your own sinfulness before God. You haven't received this righteousness as a gift. You haven't heard this word of no condemnation through trusting in Jesus, and perhaps you know deep down you're still trying to prove yourself and earn your own way to God. Perhaps you know that there's nothing changing about your life over a long period of time, and perhaps you don't even want to change. Uh, I want to acknowledge that there is a place for that, and, and if that's you, that there is nothing at all stopping that from changing right here today. 
from placing your faith in Jesus and being welcomed into this new life, this new life in the Spirit with certain hope. But I, I want to acknowledge that that's a, that's a reality, but I don't think that's where we should actually, together as a church family, focus today. That's not the emphasis on this passage. The passage is kind of like this overflowing, joyful celebration of the life in the Spirit that God gives there are other things to say about the spiritual life, about the work of God's Spirit in us, and I want to, but I want to suggest that this is critical and crucial and central, and it ought to be for all of us, what Paul says here. Uh, this is what gets Paul excited. This is what he's been building up to for seven chapters. This is the true spiritual life, a life that God's Spirit is powerfully at work in, a life that hears God's word of forgiveness through Jesus and receives it, believes it, trusts it. A life that is marked by a new walk. It doesn't mean you'll change everything overnight, but a, a, a life that is marked by a new walk in the Spirit, a new direction, more and more being shaped by your new identity. A life with your mind set on the things of God, on what God loves. A life looking forward with confident hope, knowing that the same Spirit who raised Jesus is at work in us. Uh, friends, we do need to live all of that out. And next time, not next week, in two weeks' time when Paul, Paul Harrington returns to Paul the Apostle in Romans chapter 8, uh, next time we're going to uh, hear about a kind of obligation that all of this does place on us, a kind of active putting to death, Paul says. We'll get to that in a few weeks. But for today, friends, it's right for us to hear and receive the reality, this great reality, this new way of the Spirit that is yours through faith in Jesus. At the end of the day, Paul wants us to have assurance that all of this is true. As a way of kind of responding to all of this, uh, we're going to move straight into singing a song. So Muso's come on up. Uh, we're going to sing a song about that, that blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. And friends, if your faith is in Christ, if you're, <laughs> if you're there on that top line, that is your story. That is your song. No longer in Adam in Christ and everything that that welcomes you into.